is Sierra Jones. Hi, my name is Willard Dodson. And we want to share with you a really great experience we had um, diving deeper into the 1950s on our own accounts in a very personal um, and primary way. So for the past few weeks in class, you guys know, we've been analyzing primary sources and mnemonic representations of the 50s, but we wanted to hear some firsthand accounts from people who lived through the time period. So um, to do this, we interviewed two women about their firsthand memories of the 1950s. They just so happen that they're our grandmothers. <laughs> very um, convenient for us. Very convenient. Um, but using the same list of questions, we interviewed these women and allowed them to answer freely. Yeah. So um, the first, first grandma we had up is um, my grandma, Willard. Um, her name is Jeannie Willard, actually. Willard's a family name. Um, she's a white woman born on January 30th in 1942 in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Much of her childhood was spent on her dad's tobacco farm, who um, he worked for R.J. Reynolds Cigarette Company, and um, she spent a lot of her time helping him on the farm and also with her cousins, playing around on the farm. Um, she grew up without electricity, running water, or even an indoor bathroom. So here is her take on her experience in the 1950s. All righty. Okay. So when you think about the 50s, the 1950s, what stands out? Like, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? The first thing that comes to my mind is an easy childhood. Everyone felt safe. I lived on a farm. Uh, I had the animals around me. I felt safe. Uh, my father had a job with the tobacco industry. My mother was a stay-at-home mother. So we had... I guess what you would call a very normal life. Okay. Well, that leads us into the second question, which is what was your childhood like, which you kind of already touched on a little bit. My childhood was very amazing. School systems, the teachers were very uh, hands-on. They were friendly with the parents as well as with the children. It was more of a relaxed atmosphere than what the school system is today, either in grades through 12, 1 through 12. Um, we all worked together. We played together. Uh, they had a lot of social events to make money where the mothers would do a lot of baking or whatever and sell goods. When we had sports events, the parents most of the time were there if they possibly could be. So it was an uh, interaction with the kids. We did not have uh, telephone visits and things of that nature that you would have today. There was not television back in my day, so we didn't have the electronics then that the young people experienced today. We didn't have that communication. So our communication was basically done with each other face-to-face -face as opposed through uh, the electronic world. Yeah. So you also kind of touched on this earlier as well, but what was your parents' jobs? Your dad worked on a tobacco farm. Did your mom do anything? At when I was, until I was approximately 15 years old, my mother was a stay-at-home lady. Uh, she kept the house. She was an amazing cook. Uh, she made sure that everything was done. She would get up in the mornings and uh, get breakfast for my dad. Uh, get, he would get off to work, and then I would get up and get ready for school and, of course, have breakfast, uh, come home at night, and she would have the meal ready. Uh, on the weekends, we looked forward to visiting with neighbors or friends on Sunday. Generally, we would go to church, come home, and have a huge meal. 
and then go visit someone. And that was our entertainment. Nice. So do you remember any major events from the 1950s, any political or cultural events that really stick out to you? Uh, I do remember several. We had uh, where we integrated. That was a huge event in my time. Uh, We had the polio vaccine, which was huge. One thing of interest, medical-wise, when I was younger, I was born in 42, the doctors would come to the homes to visit. You didn't have to always go to them if you were sick, Uh, although you did make an appointment if you could once a year, but they would come to the home to take care of you. And then in the 50s and, of course, in the 60s, that didn't take place. You went to their office and and had an appointments made. Hmm. And uh, travel changed quite a bit. When I was uh, born in the 40s, we would do work on the farm with a, a mule, and we had animals, and then you got into transportation. As a young person going to high school, we rode the bus. We didn't have cars as they do today. Ninety percent of us rode buses. A few had cars. And it was a little different in high school because you had to be sure that you had someone to pick you up to bring you home after you had practiced for a basketball game or things of that nature, whereas in today's world, people have cars that they can transport themselves. And I guess you would say the restaurants and all were a little different. Uh, When I was younger, uh, before things were integrated, most places were for whites, and then it you could, they couldn't ride on the bus where we did. They had to sit to the back of the bus as opposed to sitting with us and joining us, which was not fair. But uh, I was glad to see that changed, and it did take some time for all of that to change, especially in the school systems. Yeah, definitely. So I guess bringing it back to a little lighter note, sorry, my, no- my notes jump around a little bit, Um what did you do for fun? Uh, where did you hang out? What activities do you like to do? I know this is kind of circling back to what you said earlier, but maybe more like in high school on your own when you did your own things. In high school, uh, I did get a, a car when I was 16, and it was great because um, I played basketball for JV, so I could drive myself there, but we, could, we would go to ga- uh, the games, the basketball games, or football games, and uh, we would do that. And we liked to dance, so we would get together and have what we call pajama parties. And for us, that would be maybe four to six girls. Mm -hmm. And we would spend the night at one's house and uh, create a little bit of havoc, nothing (laughs) mean, but we were just mischievous. (laughs) Made phone calls, and we'd ask people if their refrigerators were running. (laughs) They'd say yes, and we'd say, well, maybe you should go catch them. <laughs> so as I grew older, that was a source of entertainment for us. And also we had the roller skating rink, and we would gather there and uh, roller skate, which was fun for us. But growing up on the farm, you had your animals and your pets, and uh, you would explore in the woods. And uh, also, as I said, I like to play basketball, so I had a goal there, and I would go out and practice shooting goals and things of that nature. So uh, we did have a lot of good times, and we rode bicycles. That was a source of getting back and forth before we had cars to each one's house. 
and we would do that. We didn't have malls and things to go to and walk through and shopping such as in today's world. Yeah. Um, so can you think of any other interesting stories you think of when you think of that time in your life? I know that was probably about, you know, like age 8 to 18. So kind of a growing up era for you. So I'm sure there's a lot of stories, but any any ones that really stand out to you? Uh, well, making a huge decision when I graduated, if I was going to college or if I were going, was going to work. I graduated in 1960. And by doing that, most of the girls were expected to be teachers or nurses, which was great, or they got married, had children, stayed home and took care of the house. So that was a huge decision, trying to decide what one was going to do and how the family economy was, which really was a big um, means of if you went to college or not. So that was a decision to make. Uh, some of the fun things that I look forward to do is I love animals. And I had dogs, and like I say, we had mules. And uh, I would always play with them, and that gave me a good source of something fun to do. And I also had a swing attached to a tree, and I loved to go out there and I could think. But one thing I enjoyed more than anything else is at five years of age, I started taking piano lessons. And that was a great source for me to practice piano. I would sit down sometimes and play for one hour to two hours. Uh, if I was angry or upset with something, it was an easy way to get rid of my frustration. So I enjoyed that. And also in that era, uh, the mothers were at home most of the time. And they looked, worked with you in how to cook, what to cook. And also in doing needlework, such as sewing or cross-stitching or embroidery. So you really had a lot of family time, maybe more so than you do today with all that's going on and opportunities, things for people to do today. So you were at home more, but still it was uh, not a bad thing to be. It was relaxing because you had your chores to do, your animals to play with, the outside to walk in. And I had my piano. There you go. What more does someone need in life? Well, that's where you have your friends. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> so uh -huh. then just this is the last question, and this is a bit of a guided question, so it's not to bias you into answering a certain way, but just want to hear your take on it. Um, there's a lot of nostalgia for the 1950s. You know, it's often referred to as the golden era, and it's also depicted pretty favorably in the media. Is it a time period that you think of fondly? It is. It was uh, a lot easier. Uh, you didn't, even though we went through the time with polio, it was not like it is today with us talking about the COVID virus. Uh, you didn't have all of the media inflicting uh, all of these horror stories. Uh, and the media, I think, encourages people to do things that maybe they normally would not do. It was an easier time of life. It was a time where you were closer to family and your friends. Um, you enjoyed things more because you didn't have as much to do. So when something fun came up to do, you really looked forward to doing it. Uh, you didn't have something planned every day. So it was, it was a fun experience when something came up. But it was just an easier 
time of life than what the young people are going through now. The education, not quite as much, not quite as uh, strict. And um, I think you, you, well, when I graduated from high school 12 years, I had an education that you probably had when you were in the eighth grade. So all of that has ramped up, which puts pressure on young people. In my day, in the 50s and 60s, I don't think there was as much pressure on young people as there is today, which is sad. Yeah, definitely. Well, that is all my questions for you. I appreciate you being You're here. You're so welcome. <laughs> Thank you for asking me. I, I hope that helps. Yeah, it does. Thank you. <laughs> is Jannie Mae Williams, my grandmother. She was born February 16, 1944 in South Carolina. Jannie is a remarkable woman with endless stories. And as I said, she just happens to be my grandmother as well. I've heard bits and pieces of her past throughout the years and I've always wanted to sit her down and get some of them on tape. In this interview, my grandmother gives us unique insights about herself and what life was like for a young black girl in the 1950s. Hi, Grandma. How are you today? Good. I'm good, how are you? I'm good. Okay. So when you think about the 1950s, I know you were a kid, but like, does anything stand out to you when you think about that decade? Probably didn't stand out at the time. Um, but later on, you realize when you, you know, later in life, you realize how unfair things were, even though at that time it was basically ex uh, accepted. Um, by um, black people, you know, that that's just the way life was. But the whole thing about doing sharecropping and everything, uh, I remember Jen saying to me one time when I was talking about it, she said, hey, wait a minute, <laughs> that seems kind of like slavery. Oh, yeah. So who, I can't remember, I know you told me before, but who exactly in your family was doing sharecropping? Everybody in my family I knew at that time. Actually, my grandparents, um, my mom, my uncle, you know, my grandparents' older kids, mm -hmm. they were all sharecroppers. And the women on all seasons would do domestic work in the homes of white folks. Well, they really didn't get paid that much for the work that they did. And even when you talk about the farming, um, there would be families, you know, if they if they cleared dollars $7,000 $7, per year, they thought they were doing great. But you have to keep in mind that that was the income that uh, mom, dad, and all their children made for that year. You know, it wasn't one person making a salary like that per year. That's crazy. You know, and it was the the time of harvest. It reason it really wasn't forever, even though it seemed like it at the time when when I was working in the fields and things. 
it's a short period of time, but it just is just so severe and so hard because you work from early morning. Um, basically, you started before the sun came up uh, in the tobacco season. You said you know I know you guys like would work um, like with your parents like farming and stuff. Did like when did you guys go to school? Well, school at that time, school started after Labor Day. Mm -hmm. But now, look, we would go as farm people. They'd allow us to go to school the first day. The reason for that would be so that you would know what classroom you was in, who your teacher was. Mm -hmm. But the way our family worked, and they were really working people, girl, they would be keeping us out of school unless it rained. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the tobacco crop was harvested in the summertime. That was before school. But after that, all best was off unless it rained so you couldn't pick cotton. You didn't go to school. So we were, like I said, unless it rained, we were in the cotton field picking cotton from September through October and sometime into the first part of uh, November. We might have gotten a few days in between, like I said, if it rained. Mm -hmm. And then they would be wondering why it was so hard for us to get our homework done. <laughs> we missed a lot of classes. You know? <laughs> and I mean, we would pick up, you know, and it would get easier for us once we start going to school steady. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, um, most of our people did not think about well, you want your kids to have something better for you? Because I think they thought farming was the only thing you were ever going to do anyway. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. What did you do for fun, like back in the 50s? Oh, we went to church. That was about it, girl. <laughs> well, you know, my family was that kind where um, we didn't allow us to go to the movies. You couldn't go dancing. Basically, you couldn't do much of anything. Um we play kickball in the yard. We would play softball. We would play walk in the barrows. Um, jump rope. Oh, and um, oh god, jacks, jacks. We would play jacks, and they waited for me to play jacks here because I was a jackstone queen. I mean, of course. <laughs> when when they say let's play jacks, you know, of course I'd be like, okay, because I love playing jacks. And so I said, first, they were like, no, I'm not playing that because we're never going to get to play. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, okay, everybody else can go first. I'll be last. Because they knew when I start playing, it was going to be a long time before anybody else play again. But now that was lots of fun. And, and um, jump rope, that was just like a common thing. That was fun, too. Mm-hmm. And we didn't we didn't even have things like the card games now that I play. Mm -hmm. Oh, it was sinful to be playing with cards. Really? <laughs> but one of the things we we played different games, you know, like um, we would play whipping mama. <laughs> um, yeah, we played lots of games. We stayed busy. Um, most of our games were played outside, unless it was winter time. Now you could play jacks outside or inside. Mm -hmm. 
but all the other activity once weren't to come. Hey, you weren't jumping up in your in your mother's house because you knew better. <laughs> I wish you would start jumping all over the Falakio food. <laughs> Um, or anything like that. So we we really did have fun. We just didn't do things like, girl, the first time I went to a movie when, I think when we were in Baltimore, I remember going to a movie, and that was on Christmas uh, night. We went to a movie. Shock of my life. But it was a good movie. I enjoyed it. You know, like sitting in the movie and seeing a big screen there and but um, aside from that, once we moved back down home, nobody wanted you to move. Mm-hmm. I started seeing movies regular, like, once I was uh, growing up. Yeah, Hopscotch was another uh, game that we played. Uh, we would pull up the grass <laughs> and the root of the grass. Mm-hmm. We would wash that out. We would wash that up, and these would be our children. Um <laughs> And we would actually, like, get us a stick, you wet the hair, and you usually put, like, a braid on each side. You know, like, there was no face on the grass, but you just pretend like you had a face. (laughs) You put one braid on each side, and you took your stick, and you curled a a bang in the front. And that was kind of interesting because that was just a whole lot of imagination, imagination right yeah. there, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we did have fun. Um, and we would be working so hard. And once we would get home and be able to kind of wash our hands and clean up or something, the first thing we did as um, younger children, because there was a point where I lived around my cousins, some of my cousins and my grandparents live across in front of us in the big house. Mm-hmm. So we, all the kids would get together whenever we could. And we would always be outside playing, you know, until they'd make us sit down. <laughs> and I can remember one time in particular, we were playing this game we called Come On Down the Line. Mm-hmm. That's a game where uh, everybody's... Uh, I was sitting there, and I, I forgot exactly how the song started. But then you would start the song, and whoever name you called, and you never knew who they were going to call. If it was my brother, they said, and here comes Henry. Come on down the line. So you had to make up a dance. But you were allowed to dance. But we would make up, we will be contorting our little bodies like, um, Walking from one end, because usually there was, there was a person, well, everybody stood on one end, and we knew we weren't allowed to dance, but, you know, if you want to have support, my mother and my um, aunt, because mm-hmm. they were living together, and we were all living in the same house at that time. I can imagine they probably heard us out there say, you know, like, they wouldn't let us see them, and, and we wouldn't be looking for them anyway, because when we got into our little playing and our dancing... <laughs> Hey, that's what it was all about. That's what our attention was on. They would probably be back there looking at us, laughing, twisting our little behinds and, you know, contorting our bodies, singing, come on down the line to get to the other end. And um, after a while, I guess they had been on laugh enough that their stomach was hurting properly. And they would come to the window and raise the window and say, hey, 
cut that out. I wish you would um, uh, do that again. I'll come down, you know, I'll give you a come on down the line. (laughs) (laughs) Then we knew we had to stop because, oh, they're watching us. We can't can't dance anymore. (laughs) You know, because the guys had to go empty the tobacco barn of the tobacco that had already been um, harvested and cured and put it in a another kind of barn before they could go in the fields and get the um, start the cropping the tobacco for the women to string. And the women were up early because they always got up to make a good breakfast for their family before they went in the field. Mm-hmm. And a good breakfast wasn't necessarily, you know, like, People get up today is just an automatic thing. Maybe you cook some bacon, some eggs, make some toast and all of that. Mm-hmm. Not really. We didn't have that. You know, like you might have had bacon once in a while, but I doubt it. And, and actually, it, most of them bacon, I don't know if you know what that back is, salt pork that's been fried down until it's crisp. Okay. We had, it usually, you know, it consisted of that and the pancakes that people make nowadays, it wasn't the pancakes we had. It was basically a batter of um, flour and milk, or uh, in some cases water, that were, you know, um, mixed together. And then you, it's cooked just like you do pancakes and everything. Uh, we call them flap, uh, flapjack. It was usually that, um, flapjacks and uh, the, the salt pork. Sometimes it was grits. Um, that grits was one of the uh, fa- uh, favorite staples of a breakfast. Mm-hmm. At the home of black folks, but mm-hmm. and it was good simply because most people knew how to taste good. You know, it was what you had at your exposure to use, so that's what you use, and you they just knew how to make it taste good. At least most people knew how to make it taste good. <laughs> you know, most like people did have a good garden with multiple kind of vegetables um, that they were able to use during the time when they had gardens and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they had plenty of like watermelons, cantaloupe, honeydew melon, you name it. They had quite a few um, of those because they planted to sustain themselves a the year. Um, one of the things they would do, they would can food. They more or less canned uh, tomatoes out of their gardens. Uh, they did some uh, beans or field peas out of their gardens, and they did those in the mason mason jars. And they, they were they were just good at, you know, being able to make a meal for their family. And it, and it, like I said, it was always tasty. And uh, rice was another staple because if you depend almost anything you had for meal besides breakfast, rice was involved in it. Mm-hmm. And um, they slaughtered uh, like most of the hogs. They were slaughtered a hog, 
and they would take some of the meat to have it cured because we didn't have refrigerators that we were using the way you guys use it now. Mm-hmm. I remember them using like the ice boxes mm-hmm. and the ice main can. Um, they would do like the, the port skins and the wash pot outside. And um, those were usually very tasty. Um, but the grease that came from the cooking of the, the pork skin, they said some of that maybe to to use to cook with, to fry with. Mm-hmm. But uh, most of it they used to make soap. Oh, really? Yeah, they use it to make soap, and maybe you can look this up sometime. And I know one of the ingredients they put in the in the wash pot um, with the grease, where you always had to add water, but you put uh, lye in it mm-hmm. so that you had it was a rough kind of soap. It was real rough on the skin, girl. <laughs> <laughs> But to this day, they said it was one of the best kind of soaps to use on your face mm-hmm. because it it really worked good um, to keep you from having, like if you had, you know how some people have blemishes on their face mm-hmm. from black hair, <laughs> um, you know. I mean, they did the best they could with what they had. Right. And they did, they did have a lot of knowledge. I knew my grandmother was one of those who would, um, she could go in the woods and she could get different roots or bark from the trees um, and certain plants. And they would make me- um, a medical fender, you know, like little brews and things. Some of them were things that you drank for different illnesses you may have. Some along with different things that you rubbed on your body. And apparently it worked because our folks did not, you know, they did not go to the doctors. They didn't have insurance. Like families today have insurance. Well, most of us today, anyway, you have insurance. Mm-hmm. Well, they didn't have insurance. And when they went to the doctors, they truly did not know how they were going to pay the bills. So, therefore, by the time you went to the doctor, by the time a person went to the doctor, uh, most time it, it was like they were almost near death. And to this day, you know, and I, I say it to my kids from time to time, a lot of times when we get sick, we don't realize that it was because way back then, um, at first, when they dropped uh, the dust and fertilizers, on, uh, not the fertilizers, like the... Um, um, pesticides. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, a lot of times, before, um, early on, from my re- recollection, they would put that, put that, that pesticide, like, into a um, cheesecloth-like type of thing. Mm-hmm. And they would actually walk along the plants and kind of, and you would like raise the raise your arm up and then you drop it down, kind of shake it as you drop it down, mm-hmm. and it went on the on the plant. 
But often that stuff went on, well, it did go on your hands all the time. It also went on your foot sometimes, depending on how well you had your foot covered. But even if you had on socks, that stuff would go, you know, um, radiate. And this is why before they're, like, regulating all these pesticides. Yeah. And and then uh, some years later, by the time I was a teenager, and my mother was running a uh, uh, sharecropping farm, they had these little, what they call, duster planes and planes. Um, it would be in the air, not way up like the airplanes are now, but, you know, close enough um, to the ground for the, uh, when they would let the um, insecticide out. And out. Yeah. You know, it would fall on the crop, but also it wasn't just falling on the crops. I can remember they would always tell you because they usually did this like near what they call um, dusk. But the houses we lived in were those old farmhouses and they weren't tied again like the houses are today. So they would let you, they would notify you like what days they were going to dust the crops and they would tell you, go in and shut the doors and shut your windows. Well, these houses, like I said, weren't tight. Sometimes they had a big crack here or a big crack there, and you would be in your house, and you you would smell the insecticide. So that meant it got inside, right? Yeah. And we um, inhaled a lot of stuff that we didn't think about back then. We didn't realize it was doing our body's harm. So a lot of times when older people like me... Um, when you get sick, it, it's probably a lot of it has to do with uh, how you lived your life on the farm and and what you were exposed to as far as those insecticides and all that stuff goes, you know? That's crazy. Um, like when you have, we have lung ailments and stuff, uh, do you realize what you're breathing on those years? Most of your life, you know? I mean, it's like they, the government wasn't transparent. Nobody was really checking. I mean, mm-hmm. to know that. Yeah, and I mean, they the the people who own the 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 um, property and everything probably knew, but we didn't know it, mm-hmm. and they didn't really care because all they care about was you uh, planting and gathering the the crops, right. so right. that they can make themselves some money. Well, too bad if your health suffer for it, mm-hmm. uh, harvesting the crops and things. Um, really bad. Now, this was, I'm trying to think of what Martin Luther King came along. Yeah, now, and, and this is the thing I would say about this, this man. Our people owe him a debt of gratitude uh, because it, it got to a point where people, you know, some of our people get to the point where they were talking to others and being like, no, this is not right, this is not justice, mm-hmm. we should not be treated like this, you know, like, we work hard on the farm and look what we get, uh, you didn't have certain rights, you know, black people couldn't vote, mm-hmm. and why, and, and, I, and, and I, when I see this on TV to this day, it's like bring tears to my eyes. People simply want to be the vote to have some kind of control over, well, who are you sending to the government to represent us? Martin Luther King and um, Rosa Parks, 
and there was another one before Rosa Parks, those people who began to stand up and say, um, yeah, I want my freedom. It's, it's worth, it's worth the chance we're taking. We may get beat on. We may be jailed, but it's time for us to lift up our voice and say enough is enough, you know? So when you're growing so. up, you're growing up in a world where segregation is still the norm. When you were little, like, did you did you realize how wrong that was? Or was it not till like, you were, like, a teenager that you really understood it? No, it really was then. And as and, and, a and matter of fact, you know, like, our people were so instilled in the way that they brought up, just thinking that you had to accept that. Mm -hmm. You didn't think the way that people nowadays think, mm -hmm. uh, you know. Uh, and there weren't a whole lot of protests, uh, uh, protests then. Uh, because, first of all, if you, if you did protest back then, you'd probably find your neighbor, your stepmother, and your dog on it was just horrible. There's nothing that should have happened to a human being. Mm -hmm. And when you think back on it, it's like, wait a minute, we didn't have to come over here. And I mean, really, we were we were treated sometimes worse than animals were treated, to tell you the truth. Mm -hmm. so, do you yeah. remember any, like, I know you were younger, but do you remember any of the major events? Like, I know segregation, like, you were familiar with that because you just kind of grew up around that. But do you remember, like, the whole, like, anti-communism thing, like, the, the nuclear testing, any of that stuff. You say communism and what? Uh, like, the nuclear testing, like, the, the bombs. No, I, no, I don't. I don't. No, I'm not that old a memo on that now. <laughs> but, but, but here's the other thing, everything that was going on, mm -hmm. um, our people didn't always get it because, it, again, it wasn't like they got a newspaper every day. Exactly. But when somebody heard about it, you know, when they did get uh, around, um, to their credit, because, you know, people pass things on, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I remember uh, that, um, what's his name, Emmett Till? Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, I'm trying to say, what year was he killed? 1955. Yes, now I remember hearing about Emmett Hill. Really? Yes, and and you know, and like people heard about other people being hung, mm -hmm. and that word was passed down quickly. Like, man, you be careful because you know they find such and such a one hung in a tree. Oh my God! You know, and that would probably be more to. Um, my mother's age, as for the hanging goes, but there was some hanging even in my time. Oh my God. Uh, like the KKK was always pretty big. Right. And I remember that one time, and they were very sneaking, and you didn't always know who they were. Uh, usually the white men right in your neighborhood, you know, like they looking at your life, they monitoring your life, like they need to tell you what to do. Uh, if they didn't like something you didn't do, uh, they didn't necessarily tell you they would just get together. And maybe, and this is a true story. This was about my stepfather. Mm -hmm. My stepfather one time, and I remember my aunt worked for this man and his wife, my mother's older sister at one time. Mm -hmm. This guy was a butcher at one of the 
grocery stores in downtown Florence. But we lived in the country, and but the man's name was Tom. Mm -hmm. So he got my father to drive him to the country clubs mm -hmm. um, and everything. Um, like he had some business at the country club, you know, they had a meeting and um, my stepfather was there supposedly as the driver for this man. That's all he knew. And so I was a cook. Um, had gotten to my stepfather and had said uh, she had to wait until she had the opportunity that nobody was looking at her and knew that she was talking to my stepfather. But at some point she said, Mister, I don't know who you are, but you need to get out of this place right now. What? Because these, these white folks plan on hanging you, are you if you don't get out of here. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. And so, yeah, so my like, stepfather would. Like, was it, was it so minute that you don't even know what he supposedly did? Like, it was just like. Well, supposedly, and I and I don't know if it happened or not, but supposedly this little white girl has said that she was coming home from a store, mm -hmm. and a lot of times the path is that you walk in the country, it's like a, a shortcut through like a cotton field or something, usually a cotton field. Okay. Uh, she was coming home from the store, and she was ahead of my father, okay. but she claimed that my step, my, not my father, my stepfather, she claimed that my stepfather started running in behind her, and she figured he was trying to catch her to rape her. Oh, my God. Yes, and so he didn't know it. So the woman said, uh, you know, like, don't be so obvious about it, but you need to get out here. And I don't know how you can get away from this country club, but you better run and get somewhere because they are planning on um, hanging you. And here's the thing. They, they did things like that. And, and I, I might have said it to y'all, but I know I said to my kids, even when I was like, about 17 years old, 17, 18 to 19 years old. Mm -hmm. um, I did domestic work at these folks' house, mm -hmm. and they would be sitting around, and they would come back home. Um, the lady would come back home to have her lunch. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, like I would be the one who's cooking everything. They would be sitting in the dining room eating, mm -hmm. and then they would be talking about, uh, things that were going on, you know, in the news and things. Mm -hmm. Girl, they didn't care if I was black sitting up there. They'd be talking about the nigger this and the nigger that. And it's like, do y'all know y'all talking loud enough to hear you? But they didn't care what you could do about it. You know, <laughs> talk about it. And it's like, it was, it was just horrible, just very disrespectful mm -hmm. um, and everything. But it's like, well, they didn't care if you you so what? So what if you hear me calling you and your people this you ain't doing nothing about it. Exactly. Oh my God. You know? And when they were talking, they were talking about their their true feelings, how they truly felt. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like they were kind of talking, oh, and you just happened to go happen to be going uh near to the room where they were at for something and you overheard. Mm -hmm. They just didn't care. 
today a lot of people especially in the media it's just like nostalgia for the 50s it's like oh there's so many people like my age too who will be like oh i wish i could go back to the 50s no is that a way you feel yeah good old days for us it might have been good old days but then wonder yourself you know like well i was just sort of making all this money she can pay me a little bit of money. She paid me, you know, it was a little bit. Mm-hmm. She had enough money to and still have some money to say, why is that? She's not going to want to give you too much. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was just like, really? Mm. Yeah. And it wasn't like we were all along the nice clothes like um, y'all be wearing all during the week. Mm-hmm. If you ever hear talk about wearing your son with this, that really were the clothes that you saved the nice clothes you so that you could be dressed looking decent when you went to church on Sunday or on uh, Wednesday or whenever you went to church. Right. Right. Which I think is kind of crazy because when you watch like TV shows about the 50s, it's always all the fashion. Whenever, whenever anyone talks about the 50s, it's always like, oh, the fashion was so great. For who? Came up with um, 
We and I to this day I still love a pump. I love steam pumps in people yards. Oh yes. Yeah, so we we had yeah, we had the uh the water that we got you had to pump it. Right. Uh and everything. Um uh, no, let me go turn on this um cigarette and I'll pause and then get me some more water and what? You better get on out to that pump, and you better hope you had a pump right in your yard. <laughs> yeah, do you remember the first time, like, you yourself got a TV, or you, like, had one in your house? Oh, my God. I didn't have a TV. I can remember the first family who had a TV in my family. Mm -hmm. And that was that was my grandmother knows, and that was, like, in the, I would say the late 60s. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, like my mother, my aunt knows, you know, uh, everybody claims because grandma and grandpa didn't go to church because they didn't have a car at that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're going to stop by and see our mom and papa, but what they really was, stopping by to see there was a, a show called the Ed, a variety show mm -hmm. called the Ed Sullivan Show. And, and I see clips of that from time to time now. I don't really remember having a TV in our house to win. Oh, my God, I don't know. I saw TV, but the only time I saw TV was, like, when I went to work with my mother because my mother did domestic work. Mm -hmm. And if the uh, white folks had a TV in their house, mm -hmm. I would see TV. My mother didn't have a TV because the thing then was like it was sinful to watch TV. Really? Oh, girl, please. <laughs> but here's the thing. They were all sinful to watch TV. But when they would be up at the white folks' house doing domestic work and the soap stand on, they should look at that like, how is it not sensible for you to look at the soap when you're at the white folks' house? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know? It, it, it's just really. Um, and I still kind of say, when is the first time I had a TV of my own? Really? It was like, these two first-hand accounts. Um, I know we've been talking about the juxtaposition and the nuance of the 50s, but we thought it'd be really cool to see that play out almost in real time. Um, so we're gonna go through the questions we asked them and kind of break down the differences and how they were similar 
Um, so the first question we asked was what stands out to them about the 1950s? So yeah, um, so my grandma, she really said that it was an easy childhood, a safe environment. Mm -hmm. When I asked her like what stands out, like what's the first thought that you had? She's always like, it was simple, it was easy. <laughs> right. You know, that was just her childhood, I guess. I feel like everyone kind of remembers their childhood like that, but it was interesting for her to say, you know, especially kind of having a difficult childhood that that's how she remembered right. the 50s. And I, I want to note that both uh, women's childhoods were very like, weren't like peachy keen at yeah, all, but like it's no. just, to say that it was like easy, I think that's so interesting. Yeah. Um, but like my, my grandmother, she kind of had the opposite. Um, they both had like very interesting childhoods, uh, which is a whole other story, but my grandmother was straight up, she said, um, the first, the only thing she remembers is how unfair things are. Like looking back, she realizes how unfair it was, but what she remembers is how it was so accepted. Like that's just, a lot of people around her had the mentality that's just how things were. And like right. you just had to deal with it growing up. Yeah. I think it's just so interesting. It was interesting that because I was kind of, I knew she, she knew I was asking her these questions for this project. So I was expecting her to kind of gear her answers towards that. Mm -hmm. So when she came out with like, oh, it was safe, right. it was easy. <laughs> I was like, so that's just really like the impression that she was given, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, like, cause you know, your grandma mentioned it was accepted. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess she had just accepted it as yeah. fact where like it didn't even cross her mind when I asked yeah. how the fifties was. And like me and Blood were talking just like in general. And we talked about both of our grandmothers are just very like matter of fact about things like no matter how like to us it could be like that's crazy right that's just how it was like i think it really was this overarching mentality of that's just how things were right um but i got i think looking back um it's easy to see like the the nuance with that yeah um, another interesting thing is that both ladies grew up on farms but it was in very different ways do you want to talk about your grandmother's experience yeah definitely so her dad um owned the land he and his um brother owned the land that they farmed on and they farmed tobacco like i said for a company and they were paid like commercially you know the rj reynolds paid them very well and he worked there for like I think she said like 40 years and then when they eventually had to lay him off because of budget cuts they even like helped him find a new job like they were very right. like they took care of him and she enjoyed growing up on the farm like she mm -hmm. still like speaks with it with like a kind heart like that was so much fun for her playing with the animals being on the farmland like she genuinely she'd probably still live on a farm if she could <laughs> right. like she really really liked her experience wow. My grandmother, she, so everyone around my grandmother were sharecroppers. Like that was just, her family was sharecroppers, her neighbors were sharecroppers. Yeah. And because she was a child of a sharecropper, she was inadvertently like helping them. Like that's, right. she was spending her summers harvesting and working in the fields. She's talking about how she would pick cotton and sometimes help with the tobacco. And it was just a very, she had this way of explaining it or was like, she was very matter of fact, like we were sharecroppers, it was really hard work. Right. But to her, it was so normal. She was like, yeah, she was like, oh, yeah, and we cooked and we had really good food because like that's that was like the highlight of our days. Like we knew how to like make things work like this very like she knew it was an odd childhood and not necessarily a healthy one or a fair one. But like it was still her childhood. Right. So I thought it was really interesting hearing her kind of go back and forth like, oh, it was such hard work. But like, yeah, like we did this and like we cooked and like, you know, we'd be running around the fields and we'd help our parents and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. It was yeah. almost like that's how she had to like mentally yeah. process like, to it kind of, yeah. to I mean, accept I guess there's that really like, yeah. like that's your only option is <laughs> right. like, you're here you might as well kind of make it seem enjoyable yeah um, it which was is, i think very true like the whole i think food thing especially for a lot of black communities like it is such like a a personal thing in a lot of cultures i yeah. think for that reason like that can make your whole day like it's imagine like you're doing all this hard work you don't really want to do mm -hmm. you're basically enslaved again mm -hmm. to some extent and then you go home to crappy food like that's just yeah, gonna make you even no. even more like disenchanted with your life so 
they held on to the good things, which I think is a pretty human thing to do. Yeah, definitely. Like, cause like we also talked about, or they talked about is that they didn't grow up with like modern luxuries. Right, like they grew no. up without electricity, yeah. without running water. So they couldn't like go home and take a hot bath. Yeah, they both like, were like, do the work by candlelight. Right. And they want a while, they gotta get up and go to the pump. Like. Exactly. So I think cause my grandma mentioned food a lot too. I think mm-hmm. that was just like a space of comfort for them. Exactly. And also kitchen time was family time. So it was like no, a yeah, way for them exactly. to bond and mm-hmm. relax after their days and even though like your grandma's doing commercial farming i'm sure she was still helping so it's not like it's just like an easy life like they're both late like doing labor right exactly at a very young age and that was just the norm like that was normal they also both um had to leave school early like for the harvest season yeah they they had to that was just normal to them yeah and like the teachers were just chill with that i was like yeah my teacher would have given me like 45 oh my god yeah they were like we'll see you in november (laughs) my grandma said one year she missed probably about 200 days of school wow maybe not 200 she was like some crazy number and i was like wow she's like everyone was doing it like that was normal that is crazy so a lot of things did overlap like um the the farming the Mm -hmm. not having like certain luxuries we have now like the labor at a young age and like that being normalized that was like a a shared thing so it was really cool that those things like overlapped but like interesting just while we're on that point it's like the 50s does not represent that like it, it represents really like an innovation of technology because this is a really big time for farming too it's like a whole other conversation right. this is a huge time for farming right this is um for me if i'm wrong this is when um all of the the, the getting labor back up again oh yeah like, investing yeah. in like farming and other businesses like that's a really big deal yeah. like this is why sharecropping is coming around exactly well there's other reasons obviously yeah but, like but definitely. it's a, a very labor trying to create labor again in the, in, yeah. the, in the market so this is like we don't really talk about this in the videos it's always people who are doing almost white collar like blue collar right, exactly. work it's never like laborers yeah no it is it's always the suburbs never the country and it's, it's always really like the new technology the vacuums the tv the tv the this yeah. this and this where it's mm-hmm. like it just completely forgets about people who still were living without those successes which is so crazy like yeah. even besides like the, the black and white and like the, the filter of race just like demographically right. there's like a whole other lifestyle that was not being shown like, that we don't think about now definitely so we also asked them about major events that stood out to them um so i guess i'll go first with this one yeah the first thing i i asked my grandmother kind of like she was asking me what do you mean like what kind of events um and i was like oh do you remember like you know the anti-communism like the red wave the red scare you know the cold one do you remember any of this she's like no and she was like, but then again, we didn't get that much innovation. We d- information, we didn't get newspapers and like, we didn't have TVs. So for her, like, there's a lot of stuff she just didn't like hear about. Like that was not her reality, which I, I didn't even think about. So when we were talking about, you know, like nuclear testing and, mm-hmm. you know, the Red Scare, communism. And like, that seems like everybody knew about that, but that, mm-hmm. that wasn't the case. Like information is still, and I'm sure to this day is still withheld in a lot of places. It's hard to come oh, by. Oh yeah, like my my grandma had a different experience. They had a old radio mm-hmm. that she so said was like from like the 1910s. Like you would oh listen to like fireside chats. Oh that. my like, god! She was like, but they, she said that she wished she had kept it while she was telling me. But she said that she had an old radio, and it was like an event for her and her family after dinner to all sit down and listen to the news on the radio. Wow. Like that's what they did. That's so and different. so when I asked her like what major events did she remember? The only one that she really mentioned that um, that she said was like the race relations. Yeah. And she said she remembers that because I mean she went to an all white school and she where she like where she lived demographically, 
um, or I guess geographically, sorry, like there weren't, there wouldn't have been a large black population around her. So right. I was interested that she mentioned that because she wouldn't have really had to face that. Which is on interesting a too, basis. even as like, also she's a child, right? Or, exactly, a young teenager that as too. Well. But she, she remembers, she rem- mentioned that, and she also mentioned that she was like happy that it has improved mm-hmm. since then. And which is interesting to me to hear that because sometimes when we talk about the '60s, which isn't our topic, she says some different things about mm-hmm. like the race riots and How stuff like it's that. Like, I think so it's like a different a whole different time. Right, like exactly. Offshoot, exactly. It's like I think the fifties were seen as just because MLK was like this was when MLK right, was starting exactly. to like starting to become popular. They were seen as peaceful. It's more like, oh, this is like it's kind of disruptive, but not like this is not changing my life. Exactly. Versus the sixties was like we were promised this, it never happened, and now right. there's riots. Exactly. So it You're I can kind it. of understand that because it was so like visceral. I think mm-hmm. both were very like disruptive but in very different ways. So yeah. I think that is it makes sense to me that she was like, yeah, that I, I understand. It was just an interesting juxtaposition to like right. explore based off like, she never says anything really negative about it, but she had a lot more to say about like right. the That's 60s so than her experience in the 50s. But she was also a child, like I, I mean, said. yeah, also she's like, probably she like, a she's older. Versus like, like when she's it. in her 20s and she's right. like out in public exactly. and like exactly. can see it. But um, yeah. So my grandmother, that was an overarching theme, like throughout our conversations, even every, almost every question I asked her, it came back to race because it was just like, that yeah. was her reality. Yeah. Like, she knew things were unfair. She knew that she was treated differently because she was black. Um, <clears throat> and she mentions the one thing she remembers, like as a kid, was hearing about Emmett Till. Really? Which I was like, you heard about that? I was like, I mean, yeah. like obviously, I know like there wasn't really a way to shelter black right. children yeah. like back then. Like at least now yeah. you can kind of like cover their ears and like, well, you know, racism is not always as overt now. So I feel like there's a way you can kind of for some. In some ways, you can shelter your children a bit more from right, that. But there was exactly. no, I mean, she's living this, right? Yeah, it's her reality. So she's, she's telling me how she heard about Emmett Till and, like, they would, if she was, like, gossip, like, listening to her mom and her sister's gossip, if she was being nosy and overhearing, she would hear them talk about, like, oh, do you hear so-and-so was lynched? Wow. Which is, like, I mean, she, like, she said, like, that was the reality. Like, maybe more for my mother, but, like, it still happened. Um, oh and then she was telling me how the KKK was still there. They were just, they oh, learned how yeah. to be sneakier, yeah. which I think was e- honestly even more dangerous. I think even to this day, like right. there's this, this, as a black person, there's this visceral fear. Oh yeah. It's, I can't even explain the feeling. And I it's like, couldn't imagine. I can't even imagine like as a kid, like that's your reality to the right. point where she tells this story where her stepfather was almost lynched. Like he barely got away that's from that. That's just insane. Like, like so recently like so close and like, I'm like what do you mean your stepfather you, was almost lynched he's like yeah like you think of that stuff in like civil war time yeah. or like the late 1800s but then it's like no like the 1950s like people who like experience this are Literally, still alive like she's alive and kicking like she's right my like she's not going anywhere she's, <laughs> she's walking around her house telling right. all these stories like it's just crazy i think it's think it's that. even weirder for me especially like even though i am black i'm like okay yeah i know it's my history but like it's your it's not your far removed history no like that, not at all and the people who far away. the thing that's even scary is the people who perpetrated those things are still alive still alive as well which is like it's insane to me and i think stuff like it's this, terrifying it's terrifying which is why i think first-hand accounts like this are so important to get while we can still get exactly them. i mean it, it just brings so much more like insight and like color to stories that we are like we just see in textbooks right like this is more 
real. It, yeah, and it means more to you when it's, especially when it's someone that you know, you or like you like yeah. a family member. With. It's like different from reading it on a textbook, exactly. where it's like exactly. this person was lynched. There's this like, happened. or even numbers like where it's like three thousand people in America it's was lynched in this yeah, year. It's, it's like oh, three thousand people. But then when you, like, think of individual people that like, were affected in their families, then it's like, that is a ton. Or the fact that lynching was just made a hate crime, what, early this right? year? Like, like, like what? In 2021? Oh, like, it's insane. Oh. And, like, just to hear it from my grandmother's lips was just, like, such a surreal sure. it was a experience. Shock. Like, you never told me the story. She's like, well, I don't know why I would unless right? you asked. And my grandma did not bring up anything like that once. I mean, That's yeah, just not like, anything that she had to deal with. Yeah. I mean... I I think being able to shield your kids from that was a luxury mm-hmm. at that point. Like, my grandma didn't have a luxury because she's living it. Right. Like, it's right there. Um, so I thought that was just really interesting. Um, but is. they both mentioned the race relations, but in a very different, different, like, different perspectives. Um, and so the main question that we asked, it was kind of leading, like, to be fair. Yeah, it was, it was very, a little leading. It was very leading. <laughs> um, but we asked them basically about the whole idea of nostalgia and, like, how there's this new not really new but there's this continual love of the 50s and kind of looking back to it you'll have people say oh if i could go back to any time period i'd go back to the 50s kind of thing so we asked them like was that kind of nostalgia like relatable for you like do you feel the same way and they have very interesting very different answers but to be expected though yeah like like, i was i was fully i was expecting these answers but it was like to hear it was just like right like i thought maybe she would have said because you know like we said like the troubled childhood where it's like they don't have electricity right why would you want to go back to that like let's be clear both these women had some very like (laughs) not amazing luxurious like childhood right neither of them were white collar like Mm -mm. rich people like Mm -mm. mm -mm. my grandma said that she remembers it well like she was like times were simpler things were not complicated (laughs) she thought things were safer she did like the classic like you could walk around your neighborhood and not get shot i was like granny (laughs) i can do that today like i don't know i live in a suburb i don't know what you're talking about suburbs are alive but like she just like i think it's just also because it's her childhood so she remembers it fondly and she was such a daddy's girl Mm -hmm. and so like she got a lot of time with him with like harvesting things and working on the farm mm-hmm. i think that's just a good e- period of her like life and so she was just and living in the rural south where like she was kind of geographically away from everyone it was very easy for her to remove herself from like oh, yeah i can the surrounding political like right, and right. cultural there's, there's a space there yeah like geographically but also that creates like a political space yeah exactly um, so she remembers it quite fondly which is not the same as your grandma <laughs> no she literally <laughs> cut me off she said no i was telling her how people like our age will still be like oh if i could go back to the 50s i would like the fashion the sock hops the glamour and she cut me off and she was like no they don't they yeah. don't go back there she said she would not go back and she she said it was just a hard time for her and just like black people in general and she she kind of went to a bunch of tangents like giving examples about how it was so different and it was not this luxury that people think like i told right. her about how people really like the fashion like that's something i always see is like oh the fashion of the 50s like the vintage style and she was basically like what fashion like for her it was her Sunday best, and that was it. Like, that right. was the most fashionable she was going to get. Right. So the fashion associated with the 50s was, like, really rare for her and her, like, to see women around her. Right. Wearing that was super rare. She was like, yeah, my mom had some nice dresses, but, like, that was saved for, like, very special occasions. Right. And it was, like, like maybe one or two. Yeah. Exactly. 
And she's like, the only time I was exposed to that stuff was maybe like when I'm going into these white people's houses and working. Like as a teenager, she's going with her mom and like working in these houses and she's seeing the luxury. Right. But it's not familiar to her, which right. I never thought about. Yeah. I would have never thought about that, actually. Like I never thought about what did my grandma wear? Right, exactly. What did she girl? wear? Mm-hmm. I just, I think my grandma has had, she didn't say anything in this interview, but like now that I'm thinking about it, I think she said similar stories where like her mom would have to like make them, yeah. hand make them dresses. Which I think again is like, Yes, maybe there is a racial aspect there, but it's also just because, like, poverty. Right. It's a very much, like, what we see in, like, modern, like, media about the 50s is about middle class, upper middle class, and rich people. Mm -hmm. Like, it wasn't... Hollywood. It was not universal, which I I just never really thought about. I never thought about that. And so, like, I mean, same with, like, how they did, like, fun. Like, they didn't, like, go to the movie theaters. Mm -hmm. They didn't go and do these special events. Um, my grandma said she liked to play to her piano and play on the farm, and that was really yeah, it. Like, her much. excitement of the week was going to visit the neighbors, and oh that gosh. was just, like, that made yeah. her day. She went to church. Uh-huh. Even though she didn't like church, church was not fun for her. She went to a very <laughs> southern Baptist church that didn't have oh any God, air conditioning yeah. or fans. She's like, people would pass out in, like, the pews because they were just so, like... but like it was just things like that that would make it she liked to go to school she played basketball in school Mm -hmm. she enjoyed that um but that's like that was really it like she didn't go and do all these extravagant things like she was like telling how in awe she is that like i could get in my car and drive to the beach oh like even just for a few hours yeah my grandma honestly very similar answer she was like i asked her what did you do for fun she said church yeah (laughs) i was like be serious and she's like well that was like our big event was going to church like maybe it wasn't like fun but it was like something to do like leaving the house was to go to church um but very much like you were saying like making their own fun like they didn't really have other options especially for my grandma um they were super super her mother was super religious all the adults were very religious and there Mm. were things that they were like that's sinful oh like she was saying so she my grandma didn't have a tv in her house until she was like grown on her own had her own kids like in her 20s like early like in the 60s and even when like she would go to like her grandparents house and they had tv it was like "Mm, you shouldn't be watching that yeah even though these are kids stuck in rural south carolina on a farm they have Mm -hmm. no other means of fun and they were told tv is sinful you cannot watch tv right they were told dancing was they couldn't dance dancing was sinful like they're if they were like outside just like and they would start to dance they would do that sometimes they had a game yeah they would would, they call it like the dance line they would try to do a dance line and their parents would watch them and then the moment they would like catch them they'd be like i know you're not dancing she was like i'll give you something to dance about kind of thing and i was like (gasps) oh my goodness right like, like movies were sinful tv was sinful dancing was like sinful right so their play was limited to like playing pretend like she told me they would get like blades of grass take the roots and like draw faces on like the very bottom like tip i guess it was like really thick yeah yeah and they would make them dolls they didn't have dolls so they made dolls out of grass and she was like that took a lot of imagination but i mean that was those were our baby dolls just playing with grass oh my goodness i I I just couldn't even imagine and then these same kids are having to go into these white people's houses and see like their baby dolls and stuff oh that is just heartbreaking it's just like oh my god my my, she was telling a story how and it was like even though they're in these spaces they're not really in these spaces right they're supposed to be the invisible exactly the help um, the invisible yeah she's telling a story my grandma is so blunt she's telling a story which I'm sure you, you've heard at this point, but yeah. she's talking about how she would go with her mom to, like, work, and even when she was, like, a young teenager, she would go and, like, work as a domestic. Uh-huh. And they just, like, act like she wasn't there. They would talk about how they felt about race relations. They would say the N-word, like... Oh, my And she's God. like, I just wasn't there. Like, I wasn't a person. I was just 
like a fixture in and the house. psychological impact on that i couldn't it's just like oh my goodness crazy. as we've been saying multiple times that whole generation needs therapy they all they all need therapy they <laughs> genuinely all need therapy you know. i don't know why they're so strong-willed right you can get they had help. to be oh, i mean they had to be but like if you don't have to anymore and now exactly you can get some help exactly you know? but i think what's really cool though is like as a kid everyone plays pretend like that's really universal yeah and I think even more so, like, back then. Like, I know for us, like, we didn't grow up with technology, like, to an extent. Exactly. Like, we had, like, I remember, like, the leap pad thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, DSs. it was like, screens. No, no, no. You know? Which I no. think is still, play pretend is, like, a really, that was a huge like, part a marker of, childhood, of childhood too, is, like, yeah. playing outside and, like, making up stories. And, like, right. if you don't have anything else. But I would have, like, Barbie sense. dolls to play with. Yeah, like, I had stuff, Physical like, the difference is, like, I toys. had, like, exactly, but they're making it up as they go along. Yeah. Think, which is just, like. It's just the extreme poverty. Like, my so grandma played extreme. with her animal. She said her dog was her best friend. Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, that's so sad. No, it was my grandma and her brother. And, like, oh, that yeah. was it. My grandma was an only child, so she really, oh, like, really? when she was home alone, wow. she had herself. Wow. And my grandma, she didn't mention this in an interview, but she learned how to cook, I think, at the age of eight. Eight? Yeah. And her mom, so her mom gave her a tough time. Oh, yeah. uh, And her mom was like, I don't believe you there's no way you can actually do it and she's like i can like mom i can cook i've been watching you cook my whole life i can do right. it and she's like if you can cook i everyone's gonna come over for dinner and you're making chicken like go ahead oh, and do it my and gosh, my grandma she did eight. it perfectly and my oh. grandma is a phenomenal cook oh, like I'm she sure. could go on master chef and they'd be like yeah yep you got it yeah. you won <laughs> and she, at eight years old she's like yeah she's she'd mastered the craft but like as we were mentioning before like food was like their comfort that was their comfort mm -hmm. that was their fun that was their luxury so i just Crazy. Necessity. It's like just out a of necessity. Universe yeah. from what we oh grew up in. So I guess that kind of brings us to like why this matters and right. like why we do this because we've had so many mind blowing experiences throughout this. Like, oh yeah. Just like where it's like, why are you saying this so casually? This is traumatic, <laughs> yeah. or this is like mm -hmm. not. Like or that just person not should be in jail. Right? Like, are you okay? <laughs> right? So like, I guess just like in class, the reason we did this is we were really focusing on analyzing primary sources and primary resources and also analyzing how memory has affected these resources um so by using to these like speaking to these two women um who we know personally but also who lived in this time we were able to gather these personal memories of the 1950s like in an authentic fashion and we were able to draw like more conclusions on how right. like the 50s were for various groups of people yeah. for minorities exactly. for poverty for people who weren't mm -hmm. the middle upper class white yeah folk, which like, is what i really appreciate about this class is like trying to find that nuance like exactly. i think to some extent everyone knows like history is not it's very subjective exactly. like as much as we wish it wasn't it very much is like the winners write history that's like a very yeah like known thing exactly um and i i love when there are classes that focus on that like don't mm -hmm. just like yeah okay we know that but like here's the history the known history that we're sticking with mm -hmm. yeah to actually explore it. and not even like it's like you know the government's lying to us kind of thing like not in like a malicious right, way but like right. in like there are real stories and yeah. there are people like who were not heard and like mm -hmm. we have the means now let's hear them like, exactly I think it's so so cool to do so i guess that leads us to the wider scope mm -hmm. we felt this project was important because i mean too often like we're saying like minority stories whether that's like a racial minority uh uh you know like a socioeconomic minority mm -hmm. they're i mean it goes unheard 
especially in history books and media representation, there's only so much like investigation of the alternative view that can be done through research alone. I remember earlier when we were watching um, Back to the Future, we talked about who's the audience, right. like what is the collective narrative, like who are we telling this to? Yeah, who's the collective audience, kind of thing. Um, and there, there is, I mean, the collective. It remains for a lot of things well-off white people, right. specifically cis white people. Oh yeah, which is like it's not a knock to cis white people, but it's like that's They're the hierarchy. Like yeah. winners write history. Mm-hmm. Definitely, there is still very much a winners and losers kind of thing going on. Oh yeah, which honestly I don't know if that will ever stop. Doubt it. That's just <laughs> a whole hilarious. other conversation. But like as long as that exists, I feel like it's people's responsibility almost to go back and like, what's the narrative I'm not getting here? Exactly. There's always two sides to a story. And so for us to speak to people that we knew and who had lived the time period to actually see that juxtaposition and that depth that we weren't getting mm-hmm. from like a, a school textbook. Right. I mean, I think we're both just really grateful to be able to tell their stories and like share them with you, but also to like learn about them and their mm-hmm. experiences and not let it just be washed away by like Riverdale, like the 50s, right, you know, exactly. like to really get that oh my gosh, lived that experience and <laughs> yeah. not just like, I want to go to the sock hop and, and drink milkshakes at the diner, yeah, like to get the real life. Archie and Jughead. Oh and there's nothing wrong with like, I mean, those are real people too. Right, like, exactly. People live those lives, but even then it's like, it wasn't all glitz and glamour. Mm-hmm. Everyone had ups and downs in their lives. And I think anytime you can get like the, a real human story is going to be beneficial in some way. Exactly. Yeah. Well. Thank you guys for listening in, and we hope that you guys enjoyed and learned some yes, things. We I know had we certainly this. did. Yeah, we had a great time, and uh, yeah, enjoy. Have a good one. Thank, Thank you for you. listening.